Well, amen. Genesis chapter number 49, and um, we are, Lord willing, going to wrap this up, and uh, obviously I prayed about uh, with us having communion tonight, and the Lord just uh, showed again, we're right where we should be, and um, I think you'll see that as we close the message tonight. But we left off, uh, we're talking about uh, the conclusion, which is Roman numeral 5, we saw the death of Jacob, uh, starting in chapter 47, which goes all the way to chapter 50, verse 21. We saw Jacob's foreknowledge, and that's kind of where we're at, chapter 47, verse 27, all the way to chapter 49, verse 27. We saw him talking to his chosen favorite, uh, there were Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim, then his chosen family, and he gathers all the sons, and he gives to his sons the prophecy that is applicable to them. And we looked at Reuben, the firstborn. We saw Simeon and Levi. We saw Judah and Zebulun, Issachar and Dan. And uh, we are ready for chapter 49 and verse number 19. We're just going to jump right into this. And uh, the next son that he speaks to and prophesies is Gad. Uh, if you remember, um, there is also a picture here in his sons uh, there with the formation of Israel and their departure from the truth and their carnality and idolatry, uh, which is Reuben and Simeon and Levi. But then the Lord came. Uh, and he was born and walked on this earth, the Lion of Judah. And then we saw Israel during um, the time of the Gentiles and Zebulun and Issachar. And then we saw Dan, which was, if you remember, uh, there in verse number what was it, 17? Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse's heel, and that his rider shall fall backward. Um, I believe Dan's picture of the Antichrist and the poison that he will bring and the destruction in Israel. But then, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Uh, it's then the Lord's going to return. And by that return, I mean his second coming. And uh, he's going to return... And uh, that's where our prophecy picks up with Gad uh, there in verse number 19. It says, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome at the last. You see, first, with Gad's life, uh, you see, first of all, that he would experience a time of being vanquished, but in the end, he would be victorious. Uh, Gad, a troop shall overcome him, but he shall overcome in the last. Again, I believe that's the prophecy of what's going to happen with Israel. Uh, the latter part of the tribulation, um, the uh, Antichrist is going to turn on Israel. Two-thirds of Israel will be slain. But then that one-third, Paul said it, all Israel shall be saved. And they will look to the heavens, and the Lord God, our Lord Jesus, will return, and they will be victorious. Uh, that wasn't just a future prophecy, though. Uh, Gad... They were settled on the east side of the Jordan River. Uh, they faced a lot of pillaging. Uh, a lot of uh, foreign uh, enemies attacked them. They were overcome often, but they always came back. And they, always, they became very stable. Uh, some men that came from Gad was Jephthah. Uh, and then probably most uh, well-known was Elijah. Uh, was from the, the uh, tribe of Gad. Then we go to Asher in verse number 20. It says, Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. 
uh, Asher, um, their inheritance would be there along in between the Mediterranean Sea and Mount Carmel, a very fertile area with the soil and such. Uh, you see their rewards first mentioned. Out of Asher, his bread shall be fat. Uh, they were going to be a very prosperous place. And then uh, royal dainties, uh, extreme riches uh, there. And ye shall yield royal dainties. You say, how is that prophecy fulfilled? Well, in the big picture, in the end, when the Lord rules and reigns, Israel is going to be extremely fruitful and productive. Uh, and I believe a lot of that will be focused there. But it has in the past as well. When Israel first went into the promised land and they took back that land and Asher took its land, that area right there is known for its uh, olive um, uh, groves and uh, olive presses and grew uh, and raised a lot of olive for olive oil and all the things that they did. Today, though, that area is still uh, greatly productive. Uh, there's a lot of oil that comes out of that area. Uh, the, if you've heard of uh, the city of Haifa uh, in Israel, uh, it's kind of like the economic center of Israel. It's located there in Asher in that area. Uh, they're known for their diamonds in that area, the royal dainties. Uh, they're known for their di diamonds, their technology. The, uh, basically, it's the economic center of Israel, and uh, it is extremely productive just at, to this day, as Jacob said it would. And then we have Naphtali in verse number 21. Naphtali, the Bible says, Naphtali is a hind let loose. He giveth goodly words. Uh, refers to, you see, uh, first of all, in, in the prophecy of Naphtali, is a natural wildness, uh, like a, um, a hind let loose. Um, just a, a very quick and fast uh, animal, the hind. Um, and Naphtali uh, would become known for that. Um, they were warriors. And uh, a lot of people believe, based off of this, that you remember when they were heading back to tell Jacob that Joseph was second in command, that one ran ahead of them and told. They believe from studying these things that that was probably uh, Naphtali. And because it says there, a he giveth goodly words. And the thought is that he was fast, read ahead of them, and told them, told Jacob what was going to happen. Uh, but uh, they were just that. Gideon's army, remember Gideon, how he kept having to trim his army? Uh, the great uh, host of Gideon, what was left of Gideon's army was from Naphtali. Uh, when Deborah sang her song of victory, she sang about the warriors of Naphtali. Uh, they were a, a, a um, fast and powerful and uh, a very uh, um, good soldiers. Um, and that today is where the Sea of Galilee is. The city of Capernaum was there. We'll go on next to Joseph in verse number 22 down to verse number 26. You see Joseph's fruitfulness in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bow. And again, now in our pro big prophecy, all right, when we get to Joseph and Benjamin, I believe we're reaching now uh, the end during the millennium and during and the end of the millennium uh, as uh, we enter eternity there. But you see his fruitfulness. Joseph is a fruitful bow, even a fruitful bow by a well whose branches run over the wall. Uh, of course, there was no um, tribe, if you will, of Joseph in the land allotment. His sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, were, uh, Joseph's inheritance was doubled and uh, given to Manasseh and Ephraim. And uh, those two tribes, um, be, Manasseh's became huge, uh, the biggest tribe. 
uh, Ephraim would become very large as well. The northern tribes later would just be known as Ephraim uh, because of their size. Uh, but the fruitfulness, uh, they would grow and grow and grow. Then you see his foes in verse number 23. The archers have surely, sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. Um, obviously, probably a look back at Joseph's brothers who hated him and uh, tried to get rid of him. Uh, but also, uh, again, the world, the Antichrist, they will reject Christ. Uh, they will hate the Lord, but there's not much of a battle. Amen. Uh, he just speaks the word and the battle's over one day. And, uh, and, uh, and then at the end of the millennium, the devil will be released. And the wonder of wonders, something that just blows my mind, is how so many having lived under the rule of Christ for a thousand years will turn and choose to follow Satan. It just shows the wickedness of man's heart. And, uh, and I'm not, I'm, our hearts are desperately wicked, all right? And, uh, and so it shows the wickedness of man's heart. But you see his foes. But in verse number 24, I believe it refers to Joseph's faith. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Uh, because of Joseph's faith, Joseph never lost faith. And uh, he continued, be it Potiphar, be it in prison. He never lost faith, and God used him in a wonderful way because of his faith. Until there, next to Pharaoh, there was no one his equal in all of Egypt. Uh, I believe Joseph was a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in his entire life and ministry. And you see it, I believe, even mentioned in this verse in the fact of a shepherd and a stone. Um, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great shepherd, and he is the chief cornerstone. Amen. And one day, he will be there and do just that once again with all of Israel and all the world. And that day is coming. Uh, so you see his fruitfulness, his foes, his faith, and in his fullness Verse 25 and 26, even by the God of thy father who shall help thee and by the almighty who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven alone, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breast and the, of the womb, the, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors and to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. The fullness and the, the fact is this in these verses that um, again shows the strength of Joseph, the sufficiency, the security, the sovereignty. And Jacob basically says, son, you are going to be blessed more than any of our fathers. Which is quite a statement. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and even Jacob himself. And uh, God would bless Joseph, and God was going to bless Israel. And, uh, and again, we look forward to that day. Uh, it is going to take place. And uh, why do we know that? Because the Lord promised it. And if the Lord promised it, it's going to happen. All right. So you have Joseph and then you have finally Benjamin in verse number 27. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf in the morning. He shall devour the prey and at night he shall divide the spoil. Benjamin, of course, uh, he is referred to here. His character uh, is referred to kind of like a wolf. All right. In other words, uh, strong, powerful. Uh, and then his conquest there, and it says that he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Um, he will win. 
And Benjamin, of course, means what? Son of my right hand. And in the end, when we enter all of eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ will be seated forever at the right hand of God, and we will worship and praise Him for all of eternity. And, um, and it's a great picture. Uh, Israel, uh, Benjamin was just that. Great warriors came out of Benjamin. Great men came out of Benjamin. Uh, both our famous Sauls were Benjamites. Right? Saul, the first king of Israel. Uh, Saul of Tarsus, who become Paul. Um, but we end um, with, again, Israel being delivered. The millennium ends. Satan is cast away for all of eternity. Uh, and we will begin eternity forever with the Lord and all of our loved ones in a new heaven, a new earth. What a glorious thought. All sin, all negative is all put behind us. Eternity is going to be wonderful. Amen. So we saw all this and uh, we saw, what would I be, Jacob's uh, foreknowledge. Now we jump back to our outline number two, Jacob's funeral. Jacob's going to die in chapter 49, verses 28, all the way to chapter 50, verse 21. Let's look at Jacob's funeral. First thing we see here is a pledge. Verses 28 to 33. You see Jacob's last words in verse number 28. And these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is it that their father spake unto them. And blessed them, every one according to his blessings. He blessed them. He, he blessed them. He uh, brought his family in, and he gave each of them a blessing. Jacob, in his lifetime, he tripped up a few times. Jacob, in his lifetime, didn't do everything right. But it's really important to note this, that he ended his race well. And um, when he got his hope back, when he got his hope back, see, he had lost hope when his wife died. He lost hope then when Joseph, he thought, had died. But everything changed in his life when he saw the wagons. And there came a day when he saw those wagons pulling up there in Canaan land, and he realized this that he heard, his son is alive. And uh, he came back, and when he saw, he wept on Joseph's neck, and hope came back to his spirit, and he was able to end his life well because of hope. We as believers... We have no reason to ever lose hope. He is our hope and that blessed hope and praise the Lord for it. But you see his last words here and he, he ended his race. And you see his last will in verses 29 down to verse number 32. He gives them a charge in verse 29. He charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. He gave them a charge. He said, now I'm going to die. He said, but I want to be buried in the cave. The cave that Abraham was buried in. He said, uh, I, that's our family burial place, and that's where I want to be buried. You see the charge, and then you see the cave mentioned in verse number 30. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field uh, of Ephron the Hittite for possession of a burying place. He said, uh, I gave them a charge. I want my bones taken up there. I want to be laid there in that cave that Abraham bought. And in the care, 
And this is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Jacob said, There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. And there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Jacob had spent many years pushing Leah aside. Many years talking about all the love that he had for Rachel. But there's something about Leah whenever she gave up and just started trusting the Lord and had her final child and named him Judah, which just means praise God. And she just decided to leave it all in the Lord's hand no matter what. It took a long time, but I believe Jacob finally saw the gift in the great wife that he had in Leah. Leah was, don't get mad at me, all right? She wasn't pretty. And young people, that's not the first qualification for a spouse. I'm thankful for that. My wife would have never married me, all right? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. It took a long time for Jacob to realize. But God had a plan, and Leah was precious. She had a faith. A faith, by the way, that Rachel struggled with. And um, I think he saw that. And I'm going to teach on this on a Thursday night upcoming, but to all of our young people who are yet to be married. God gave you a checklist in the Bible of who to look for. A checklist. And the checklist is this. Equally yoked. So what else? That's it. They should believe like you. They should have the same doctrine as you. They should have the same faith as you. Amen. Amen. And that's not just for our young people either. Right? We have older adults and such, right? It's the same all the way around, right? That's God's qualifications. It's just a lot of times we paint in our head and we put God in some little box like, this is what I want, God. And that's what Jacob said, and he wasted a whole lot of years. When God had the, someone very special in his life that he missed for years. I'll just give you that to think on, right? It's just, that's what it is, all right? I mean, that's what it is. And so, uh, you know, think on that with me, all right? Uh, but you see his last will, the charge, the cave, and the care. Then you see his last witness in verse number 33. It says, then Jacob had made, and when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered into his people. Um, the last witness after the last will, his last witness. And uh, I like this. He, uh, I just wrote down these three words under that. Um, I just wrote down his retiring, his rest. And I'll save the last word. His retiring and his rest. When Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into his bed. His, a- his last act of strength was to lay down. His feet were probably dangling over the side as he blessed each of his children, but he puts his legs back in the bed and he lays there and he rests and he yielded up the ghost and he passed away 
But I want you to see this. There was a retiring and arrest, but there was a reunion. He yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Amen. He didn't go to sleep and still soul sleeping, all right? When his eyes closed in death, he was there with his people. That's a glorious verse, man. Gathered unto his people. There is Abraham and Isaac and Leah. There's his people. There's Noah, Adam. Amen? Amen. Gathered unto his people. What a glorious thing. And I say a last witness because that verse speaks a lot to us. What a wonderful thought. Then you see the pledge, and then you see the preparation. Entering chapter number 50, verses 1 through 3, you see the preparation. It says, And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. It's right to grieve. Absolutely. We sorrow just like everybody else sorrows, but the difference in our sorrow is we have what? We have, we sorrow not with them who have no what? Hope makes all the difference, right? And, uh, and so he sorrowed, it's right to sorrow. He fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants and physicians to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten days. Uh, so you see here the preparation. He, in verse number 1, Joseph embraced his father. In verse number 2, Joseph embalmed his father. And in verse number 3, we see the eulogy for his father. Uh, they mourned him. And uh, there was a, a certain time that they mourned him. And it's right to mourn. Um, and we never, ever forget our loved ones who have passed away. Uh, you know, I've got three grandparents in heaven. I can't wait to see them. I've got a father in heaven. I can't wait to see him. I've got a sister in heaven. I can't wait to see her. Uh, but we also need to understand that uh, we will take our time, we will grieve, and we will mourn. But Joseph's life wasn't over, and neither was Israel's. They, they, they had to go on, and, uh, but they mourned, and it's right to do. And uh, there was the embrace, the embalming, and then the eulogy where they mourned for him in verse number 3. Now, after the preparation, we see the permission in verses 4, 5, and 6, the permission. Uh, the permission was this, Joseph asked Pharaoh to be able to do what his dad had asked, to go bury him. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, if, if now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father hath made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father according as he hath made thee swear. Um, Joseph said, Pharaoh, if I have found grace in thy eyes... <laughs> I think he had, right? Uh, he had saved all of Egypt, right? Uh, and, and all the known world. And, and he trusted him with everything. And Pharaoh said, of course, whatever your dad wanted you to do, go and do it. And so permission was granted. Then you see the procession in verses 7 to 14. This is the most descriptive funeral in all the Bible. There's not a whole lot about funerals, but this is the most descriptive funeral in the Bible. Uh, the procession in these verses, let's look at that, and uh, we'll read it all, um, but you'll, you'll see here, first of all, uh, res a, a respectful showing. 
in uh, verse 7 and 8. It says there, And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. You have this respectful showing. Uh, the leaders of Egypt went with him. Uh, his loved ones went with him uh, to show this respect. And, uh, and then uh, a legion went with him, uh, a military pr- pr- procession. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. And it was a very great company. So you had here people came in. Uh, leaders came in, loved ones came in, and uh, showed respect uh, from uh, their military uh, and, and showing this. It's just interesting to keep in the back of your mind as we think about funerals in the days ahead, right? Uh, but there is a time of respect shown. And people came and they gathered together and they showed him the respect that he was due. It's really important when there are funerals and there's visitations and funeral services, if at all possible, we should come and encourage the family, encourage the loved ones, but ultimately showing the respect that is worthy of uh, a soul that lived for the Lord, a uh, loved one. And we give that, give that to them. And, that is, and, and that's a right thing to do. That's what they did here. So you see a respect, respectful showing, but then you see a respectful sorrow. In verses 10 to 15, and they came to the threshing floor of, of Atad, which is beyond Jordan. And there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought uh, with the field for possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And so you see uh, this showing of respect. Joseph would return in verse number 14 and to Egypt, he and his brethren and all that went up to him to bury the father after he buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, and we'll pick up there in just a second, but uh, you see this respectful showing. Uh, they mourned. Matter of fact, they wept with a very sore lamentation. So hear me on this. It's good to grieve. And there's nothing wrong with grieving and crying and weeping. You say, what are you going to say next? Nothing. You should do that. Absolutely. You know, and, and I always tell folks when I meet with families at funerals, I always remind them this simple statement right here. No one needs to be strong. People always, you know, I'm just trying to be strong for them, trying to be strong for them. Everybody knows we're all hurting. Just be real. Just be real. And um, they, they mourned. And uh, even to a point to where everyone that lived in Canaan said, Wow. Whoever this person was, he was greatly admired and loved and respected. And that's a good testimony. And, uh, but they mourned. And you see the procession. And then you see in verses 15 to 21, the pardon. <laughs> they get back home. When Joseph's brethren, verse 15, saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will pre-adventure hate us and will certainly requite us of all the evil which we did unto him. You see in verse number 15, some conviction. 
But why were they saying this? Because they still felt guilty for what they had done. And yet to this point, though Joseph had hugged them and wept and they wept on him, they had never looked at Joseph and said, we did wrong. Verse number 15, now they think, well, now that dad's dead, Joseph's going to kill us. <laughs> see the conviction, and then you see the conniving. Verse 16 and 17, and they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say to Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. At least they confessed what it was. For they did unto thee evil. And now we, press thee, we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants, of, the servants of the God of thy father. They, they sent someone and said, Dad said for you to forgive us. I don't think Dad did that. Um, they were trying to save their own necks. But in doing so, they did do something they had not done yet. They confessed what they did as evil and as sin. You see the conviction and the conniving and their confession in that verse 17. But then you see the comfort in verse number 17. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Joseph wept because he had already forgiven him. Verse 18, his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Joseph said unto him, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. He said, You have nothing to fear. He had already forgiven because, again, Joseph, I believe, is an awesome picture of the Lord in the Bible. And they confessed what they had done. Joseph said, I've already forgiven you. And you don't need to earn my love. They said, We'll be your servants now. Joseph recognized a very important principle that men do things evil. But according to Romans 8 and verse 28, I don't care what evil has come into your life. If you will trust God and give all things to God, he will work all things together for his good. And Joseph recognized this principle and gave this to the Lord. And he realized now looking back, even though his brothers did do wrong, God used it for his glory. God used it for his purpose. And may God be glorified in it. So you see the pardon. So we saw the death of Jacob and now... We're almost done. Verse 22 to 26, the death of Joseph. Verse number 22, And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. First thing, and just a couple thoughts here, and we'll wrap this up. Joseph's dwelling, verse 22. He stayed in Egypt. He lived to be 110 years old. You do all the math with all the years and the time and the ages of children and things, you'll realize that when Jacob died, Joseph would have been 56. So that meant they lived 54 years with Joseph there in Egypt. But even though he dwelt in Egypt, he never let his heart get settled in Egypt. You see, Joseph's dwelling, and by the way, that should be our testimony too. I don't know how many years we're going to be on this earth, but our heart should be set and our affections on things above. Joseph's dwelling, and you see Joseph's descendants in verse uh, number 23. 
Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were brought upon Joseph's knees. Um, just a quick little glance into Joseph being a grandpa. And um, got to see three generations during his time there in Egypt. You see his descendants, and then you see Joseph's discernment in verse number 24. And Joseph said to his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He gathered his family together and he said, I'm going to die. But God's going to take you out of here. Um, I love what he said there too. It's this little thing, but it says in verse 24, And Joseph said to his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of the land. It's a little word, but that's really important. God just didn't get him out of the land. He brought him out. His presence would be there with him, with all of them. And Joseph said, he understood and he discerned this, that someday God's going to take us out of this land because he trusted the promises of God to his fathers, that Canaan, that was the land that they would inherit. Verse number 25, you see Joseph's demand. Now follow, we're ending it, so stay here, right? Everybody with me, amen? And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. And Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. His last command was this. He said, I'm dying, but I want you to, when you leave this place, take my bones with you. This body that's going to be placed in the coffin is not to stay here. It's to be taken with you. And um, that's exactly what happened. Fast forward 400 some years. Moses, when they were leaving Egypt after the Passover, the Bible says that Moses himself interesting phrase but Moses himself took the the body of Joseph in that coffin and they carried it out Joseph knew that God is faithful and that God was going to do what he said he would do and his body everybody with me Joseph's body 400 years later be a time of remembrance of what God had done what God was doing and the home that they were heading to I'll let you stop and think about that for a second Joseph's body it's a time for them to remember what God had done in saving all of them what God was doing that they had been redeemed from Egypt and they were heading out and what God was going to do that there was a land that they were heading to 
so tonight we gather and the bread and the cup is to be a picture of the body and the blood of Christ and may we take the time tonight to remember what God has done and what God is doing and because of what he's done where we're heading soon one day in verse 26 Joseph is deceased Interesting, stay with me for 20 more seconds. The Bible says he died and was embalmed and placed in a coffin. This book that we've studied in the book of Genesis started with creation and it ends with a coffin. Starts with the glory of God and ends with a grave. Starts with the vastness of eternity and ends with a reminder of the shortness of life. Starts with the living God and ends with a dead man. Because the book of Genesis is a book of reminders that God is the creator and that God said that the day that thou shalt eat of it thou shalt surely die. The book of Genesis is a book of a whole lot of deaths because that's what the curse of sin brings. But praise God there is redemption. Praise God, there is deliverance and salvation. And the book of Exodus is fantastic in showing God's redemptive plan and God's direction for the life and God's the giving of the law and the, the Exodus and, and all that's there. I hope you'll take a step back and see. God created us, man sinned, there's a penalty of sin. God has a plan of salvation. God will give us how we should live, how we should walk, and there is victory in that path. And um, I know there's so many stories. But we can take a step back. What a glorious picture of this life that we live. So.